0: Al Jazeera podcast. Israel has ordered the 1.1 million Palestinians living in northern Gaza to leave their homes. Relentless bombing has flattened entire neighbourhoods with people killed while fleeing. Do Israel's actions equate to ethnic cleansing? I'm James Bays and you're listening to the Inside Story podcast, where we dissect, analyse and help define major global stories. Well, let's bring in our panel of guests to discuss all this now. In Montreal, we have Muin Rabini, co-editor of Jadalia, an online news website. He's also a non-resident fellow at the Centre for Conflict and Humanitarian Studies. In Palestine, Diana Bhutto, a human rights lawyer and former spokeswoman for the Palestine Liberation Organisation. And in London, Geoffrey Robertson, a human rights barrister and the founder of Doughty Street Chambers, one of the largest human rights legal practices in Europe. He's also the author of Crimes Against Humanity. Humanity. A most distinguished panel, thank you very much for joining us here on Inside Story on Al Jazeera. So we'll discuss all this in detail in a moment, but I want to go round all three of you. Start with you, Diana. Um, what we're seeing right now, moving people, forcing people to move, um, ordering them to move in Gaza, in your view, is this ethnic cleansing?
1: Yes, because it cannot be separated from the broader Israeli plans of trying to get rid of Palestinians from the Gaza Strip to have them flee to the Sinai.
2: Muin, is it ethnic cleansing? Yes, and less important than my opinion is the consensus among Israeli military and political leaders that they would like to get rid of the entire population of the Gaza Strip. They've been explicit about this.
0: Okay, Uh, We heard in our report at the beginning, another one who agrees it's ethnic cleansing is the special rapporteur Francesca Albanese. So, Geoffrey Robertson, is this ethnic cleansing?
3: As a matter of law, Israel, rightly or wrongly, is the occupier of Gaza. It therefore has a humanitarian duty to all the residents of Gaza. It may, therefore, direct them to move to a safe place if and only if the south part of Gaza is safe, which means, frankly, that Israel must have a ceasefire uh, in relation to south of Gaza.
0: So, to be clear, is it ethnic cleansing, then? You're saying it might not be... Well, a
3: description that is not appropriate. It seems to me a question of whether it's a war crime.
0: OK, well, let's, let's look at detail of exactly what Israel's been doing and we can examine this in more detail. Um, Western military analysts now believe that Israel probably has already divided Gaza in two and may well have encircled Gaza City. Uh, they clearly want to move people out of Gaza City
2: now, M- Muin. Would you agree with that? Yes, and I I think it's important also to put this in historical context. Um, Not only is more than 75% of the population of the Gaza Strip uh, refugees who were ethnically cleansed from their homes and towns and villages in 1948, but Israel has since the early 1950s had an obsession with what it calls thinning out the population of the Gaza Strip and um, cleansing them out of the Gaza Strip to Sinai, to Libya, to Iraq, to elsewhere. It has been the subject of numerous Israeli proposals over the decades, also after it occupied this territory in 1967. What we've seen in the past month is Israeli leaders almost to a man making various proposals and insisting that one result of this latest onslaught on the Gaza Strip should be the removal of the majority, if not all of its population out of the Gaza Strip, either into Egyptian Sinai or as recommended this morning by an Israeli cabinet minister to Ireland. So it's indisputable, in my view, that Israel has an explicit agenda of the expulsion of the population of the Gaza Strip uh, um, to outside the country. Whether that succeeds or not is, of course, an entirely different question.
0: Deanna, we've had these orders coming from the Israeli government and the Israeli military. The first one was on the 12th of October. Quite amazingly then, they said people had just 24 hours to move south.
1: Yes, and this has been going non-stop. And the problem, of course, is that people then move south and then while they're in the south, they're being bombed. Um, And there is no safe space anywhere in the Gaza strip. Now it's also important to bear in mind that in the south it's not just a question of people moving south which they can't do there is no fuel there's no water there's no electricity and of course there's no food but um but even when they move south there aren't any safe spaces there's no infrastructure there to absorb the people who are fleeing. So instead, we've seen the way that Israel has attacked is that it's attacked the north, it's attacked the center of the Gaza Strip, and of course it's attacked the south. And this is why these claims of them uh, telling people to move south for their own safety are fallacious. What they're doing is they're creating a system of chaos where people feel there's no place that is safe. And then they're going to put pressure on Egypt to open up the Rafah border so that Palestinians then flee into the Sinai Peninsula inside Jordan, inside Egypt, excuse me, where they will there remain forever. There's, this is not anything new. As Marain has already said, this has been planned. These They planned this for a long time. And just last week, it was leaked. An Israeli document was re- leaked exactly describing the very thing that we're seeing right now, which is create this massive chaos so that people flee to the south. And then from the south, they get pushed into, into Egypt.
0: Jeffrey, I mean, there are people... Um, ever since that first order, and there have been subsequent orders, including supposedly opening humanitarian corridors in recent days for a a period of hours uh, in the afternoon in in Gaza time. But, of course, there are some people who can't move. There are patients in hospital, there are um, parents with children, there are the elderly, the disabled, uh, the infirm. Does Israel still have a responsibility to protect those people, even though they've ordered people to move?
3: It does. Uh, It has a very clear humanitarian responsibility as occupier of the territory. Uh, It can order people to move for their own safety, A, if they can move and those patients in hospital can't, and B, if they're taking them or inviting them to move to a safe place. And it seems to me that so long as Israeli war raids go on in South Gaza, that is not a safe place. Therefore, unless and until they institute a ceasefire, at least in relation to South Gaza, uh, they're committing a war crime by ordering the transport of citizens to unsafe places.
0: Diana, we've seen attacks on schools and hospitals throughout this. But in recent hours, we've seen attacks on, on recent days, the Al-Shifa Hospital, the Al-Quds Hospital, the NASA Children's Hospital. And Now, these are not just places where people are treated and urgently need treatment and doctors are working in very desperate conditions to treat them, they are also places of sanctuary and protection. The figures I could find, the Al-Quds hospital has uh, 14,000 people sheltering in or around it and Al-Shifa hospital, 45,000 people sheltering in its vicinity. Do you think Israel is trying to send a deliberate message by attacking these places that nowhere is safe in order to intimidate people to move?
1: Yes, and they've said as much. Look, the Israelis have been uh, carrying out a propaganda campaign now for, for about two weeks now, indicating that they are going to hit hospitals, that they're going to hit UN schools, that they're going to hit churches, mosques, Um, and universities, they've done it all. And the reason that they're doing this is, again, they want to send the message to Palestinians that there is no safe space. The only place that's safe is if you flee to another country. And this is why they've been projecting that they're going to bomb these places. And then it turns out that they do bomb these places. And and the problem, of course, is that that nobody is calling Israel out for these very deliberate uh, war crimes that they're carrying out, where where they've attacked so many hospitals Hospitals where they've killed um, medical staff, in addition to targeting ambulances, in addition to targeting convoys of people who actually are fleeing to the south. This is because Israel has been taught time and time again that it's above the law and that Palestinians are somehow beneath the law. And this is where it has to stop.
0: So, Jeffrey, if this is a deliberate Israeli tactic of trying to intimidate people to move by bombing what should be the safe places, the hospitals, the ambulances, uh, the schools, is that a war crime in your view?
3: Well, <clears throat> on the face of it, it is. But you haven't mentioned, nobody has mentioned, and you should and must, uh, that it is in re- reprisal and response for a rather barbaric attack by Hamas on October the 7th. So whether it is a war crime, for example, bombing a refugee camp, uh, depends on Israel's defense. Now, that depends on the proportionality of the damage compared to the legitimacy of the intention. It's legitimate for Israel to pursue Hamas. But if it bombs a refugee camp to kill one Hamas commander and at the same time 50 other innocent persons, then if arraigned for for that war crime, uh, the question would be whether that is proportionate to kill okay. 50 innocents. For OK. One. It... Now, let me just finish. OK. That's the question that the UN judge or whoever must answer. A philosopher might say, no, of course it's disproportionate, and, and so might a, a UN judge. But you but you are a distinguished
0: legal mind. If you were the judge right now, looking at the evidence, do you think it's proportionate, Jeffrey?
3: Well, I didn't, but you'd have to look at it on a case-by-case basis, which is why it's necessary for Israeli targeters to have legal advice before they press the button and why Israel has to decide, because it may eventually amount to a defence as to whether they're entitled to take out, it's called collateral damage, but that's a euphemism for killing innocent people. And so that's the issue that will have to be decided on all the evidence on a case-by-case basis. You yeah, can well, you can say prima facie, which is the word used by lawyers, on the face of it, uh, bombing a refugee camp or a hospital is a war crime but it is a crime that is open to a defence and it would be up for to Israel. It may be that this case will go before the ICC. It may be, although Israel refuses to cooperate, it may be in years to come that one of these bombings will be someone involved in them will take a holiday in Europe and find that they're arrested and prosecuted, uh, and then it may come before a court. And that kind of decision, whether this bombing was proportionate to the uh, attack that Israel suffered on October the 7th, uh, will have to be decided.
0: Okay, well, that's for a court of law, and that may be a very, very long way off. Uh, This is a television programme, not a court of law. But I'd like to bring in Muin um, on this point. Do you think Israel's actions are proportionate?
2: Well, I, I would agree that there needs to be a thorough investigation of each and every incident where war crimes are being alleged. And I would just point out for the record that Israel since 1967, as a matter of policy, has systematically refused to cooperate with each and every investigation that's launched and has, in fact, denied entry to the scene of the crime by any and all investigators. Now, I think another relevant point here, and that would be exhibit A, is that Israeli leaders from the president of the Israeli state all the way down since October 7th have made a point of explicitly stating that as far as they are concerned, there is no distinction between Palestinian civilians and combatants, that as a matter of policy, they refuse to make any distinction. So, you know, there's the, the circumstantial evidence, if you will, is already overwhelming, because also, of course, Israeli actions since October 7th have confirmed that Israel is refusing to make any distinction between combatants and non-combatants. Just this morning, for example, we had an Israeli cabinet minister recommending the use of a nuclear weapon against the Gaza Strip. I I suspect he's going to be roundly denounced and condemned in the West, not for his proposal, but for revealing the existence of an Israeli nuclear arsenal that the West, even in 2023, continues to insist that Israel doesn't have.
0: Diana, you've you've heard Jeffrey uh, and Muin's view. What's what's your view on this, on the on the proportionality um, point?
1: I think it's important to back up a little bit and say that Israel has been maintaining a barbaric occupation over the Gaza Strip now for 56 years and a barbaric action by ethnically cleansing Palestinians 75 years ago, a barbaric action that continues to this very day. When it comes to the issue of bombing hospitals, there are red lines in international law, and that is one of them. And to somehow claim that because an Israeli official claims that there's somebody there, that it becomes a legitimate target is false. a game, this isn't a video game where you get to run around and drop bombs on the heads of people. And just so happens to be that there are 471 other people who are stationed there. There are rules. And the problem is, is that nobody has ever tried to enforce them against Israel.
0: Jeffrey, I mean, we've had people who have headed south and have either been bombed on their way south or been bombed when they get south. There is something called the crime of perfidy, I believe. Do you think that applies...? Explain what it is and do you think it applies?
3: Well, it goes back many hundreds of years and it can mean using poisoned arrows and the like. So I think it is simpler to say that it is a crime for which Israel should be, albeit uh, isn't, arraigned in uh, the dock of either the ICC or some European court. But I would say that proportionality means that you look at both sides. And it may be ironic, but were Hamas to release its captives, its hostages, then that would change the odds because Israel would then not have the basis for attacking hospitals and refugee camps and the like. The proportionality would be all the other way. So it it would improve the odds of Israeli commanders being uh, convicted were they not to have that motive of freeing hostages.
0: Diana. There um, he
3: is in the balance. Yeah.
0: Deanna, um, a grim statistic that I've noticed um, in, in the last 24 hours, the number of people killed in Gaza in just over four weeks now matches about the number of people who've died in Russia's war on Ukraine that has gone on for 19 months. About 10,000 people killed in each war. I mean, the, the, the scale of killing by Israel. Does that tell you something, I mean, in terms of the legal, the legality of the situation?
1: Yes, it tells me that Israel is intent on committing genocide and on ethnic cleansing, and that nobody is stopping Israel. The fact that when you look at these numbers, there are an additional about 2,000 Palestinians who are still trapped under the rubble, who are still yet unaccounted for because there's no way to remove the rubble off of them. When you look at what it is that Israel is bombing and how it is that it is bombing the Gaza Strip, it shows you that what exactly what they said. One of the Israeli officials from the beginning said, our aim is not accuracy, our aim is maximal damage. And this is exactly what we are seeing playing itself out, is that Israel is inflicting maximal damage. We have a so-called lefty in the Israeli cabinet, a man named Benny Gantz, who was the, the person who was running opposite Netanyahu, who very proudly said in 2014, when there were no captives, by the way, um, that, the, that he was proud to have bombed Gaza. Back to the Stone Age, and this is what Israel is priding itself on: is they are they are priding themselves on flattening Gaza. They've already indicated that it's going to be smaller in size and fewer in number, and so it shows you exactly what they are have said they're going to do is what they're doing. The problem is is that nobody's listening, and instead is trying to bury their heads in the sand.
0: Jeffrey, I mean, we well, problem, uh, see
3: you go on. So, James, can I say? The problem is the United Nations. There is no difference between the war crimes of Putin and Netanyahu. Both are indiscriminately killing civilians. And yet the United Nations is utterly helpless. It's not fit for its purpose because the Security Council, the General Assembly is merely a talking shop, the Security Council has this big power veto where Russia vetoes every resolution that tries to get a ceasefire in Ukraine or negotiations. And, uh, of course, America last week vetoed uh, a ceasefire resolution in relation to Gaza. So, so, the UN,
0: Geoffrey, so the, the, the... the UN is utterly useless. What about the International Criminal Court? Because it came up with, with an arrest warrant for Vladimir Putin and for his yes, children's commissioner. Do you, think the Court, do you Putin think the International Criminal Court could act in, in this case, Geoffrey? Or, or do you think there's going to be a great deal of pressure to stop the prosecutor, Kareem Khan, bringing any charges? <laughs> I think uh, the
3: my friend, the prosecutor, Karim Khan, has so much on his hands with Ukraine, with all the Russian war crimes, that he has sent some uh, observers to Israel and will no doubt have full uh, records of what's been going on and hopefully will issue some indictments against Hamas leaders and Israeli leaders uh, in due course. Uh, So I would maintain my hope that the ICC may, at least for the record, uh, set down the prosecutions that, on the face of it, deserve to be brought against both sides.
0: Diana, do you have hope in the International Criminal Court? It's supposed to be an independent legal body, but it's going to face pretty heavy political headwinds, is it not? Remember, the Trump administration blocked the US visa for um, Mr Khan's predecessor, Fatou Bensouda. If if they ever tried to bring charges against Israeli politicians or Israeli leaders, uh, we'd expect the same from the US and Israel, would we not?
1: Of course. Uh, That's why people don't call it the International Criminal Court. It's the International Criminal Court. It's the International Court to prosecute people from Africa and, uh, and Putin, and that's it. Uh, if this really were an international criminal court, then we would have seen Israel brought before the ICC many, many, many years ago. But instead, we've seen prosecutor after prosecutor either try to kick the can to another prosecutor or face retribution for trying to hold Israel to account. Once again, the problem is the United States and the United States has ta- and, and the UK has taken the position that, that Israel can, can do no wrong. And, uh, and so it's not at all surprising to me that this This is where we are at this stage in the world. I am, however, very very um, uplifted by the fact that that the world is not convinced by Israel and by its other gang of thugs, but instead that world opinion is firmly on side of Palestinians. We don't need international courts to tell us what is right and wrong, what is moral and immoral. And we see that bombing a refugee camp, bombing hospitals, schools, mosques, churches, and kids is illegal. And we don't need to be told that by international lawyers
0: will we see accountability muin
2: no um and um there's there's a long track record in this case i think the role of the office of the prosecutor of the icc has been absolutely shameless particularly during the tenure of uh, of karim khan who practically indicted vladimir putin the day the uh The Russian invasion of Ukraine commenced and now is probably preparing to issue some indictments against Hamas leaders and that'll be the end of it. Absolutely shameless. Um, More broadly, I think the US has Israeli impunity as a strategic policy objective. I think the European countries have made clear their unqualified support uh, for Israeli war crimes and that there can and should be no accountability for Israeli war criminals. And um, the only the only people who can successfully hold Israel to account for its crimes are the Palestinians themselves and the real allies. But I think the idea that the international system uh, will do anything no Thank you very much, Muin. Thank you to all of our panel. Muin Rabini,
0: Diana Bhutto, Jeffrey Robertson as well. This episode was produced by Dermot Fleming, Alexandra Byers, Fungi Nguyen and Gemma Harry. Studio sound was by Alexander Chigrin. The programme was edited by Ahmed Fakha, Bada, and Joe de Vries. Be sure to subscribe to the Inside Story podcast to catch every single episode. Thanks for listening. Tune in on Monday for our next edition.
3: I'm Charles Dance. Your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women. An unconventional and extraordinary artist.
1: Me? I am Frida Kahlo.
3: A communist revolutionary.
1: Everyone in China knew my face.
3: You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.